0: This is Solo Agent World, where we celebrate the accomplishments of high-performing single agent real estate practices. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent, and welcome to Solo Agent World, where we celebrate the accomplishments of top-performing solo real estate agents. Today, we're talking with Brenda Mayette, with Miranda Real Estate Group in Clifton Park, New York. Last year, she sold 65 homes worth $15 million and earned $310,000 in GCI as a solo agent with one part-time assistant. Her average price was $231,000 with 40% buyers and 60% sellers. She's been an agent for 12 years. Welcome to the call, Brenda.
1: Thank you, Mike. I'm happy to be here.
0: Brenda, it's great to have you here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Before we talk about what you're doing now, though, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate.
1: Ah, yes. Before real estate, I was in healthcare. care. Um, I have a bachelor's of science degree in nutrition, and I was a registered dietitian. I moved up the ranks from clinical dietitian to a multi-department um, director, including the food service, um, clinical operations, and purchasing and receiving at a local hospital. I experienced layoffs on Halloween of 2007, and in March of 2009. So um, I became a little cynical and decided to take matters into my own hands during a recession.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! Good. Well, well. Just for uh, context, how long were you in the health industry?
1: Um. 20 years so it's 20
0: years and you worked all the way up in the management so you have a lot of experience in that area kind of driving yourself and driving other people and then you you jumped over to real estate now you said you got cynical in that industry and that's why you made the switch uh, because of everything that was happening why did you pick real estate
1: well our family was one of those i won't say weird (laughs) Our family is one of the families that spent their Sundays going to open houses. And I spent a lot of my childhood wondering when we were going to move. Um, But actually, it was free entertainment for us. Um, I'm the type of person that when we go away, I grab those home magazines and such. So real estate was always something that, that was always interesting to me. Um, it was always something I was going to do later because it's so easy, right? It's something you can do in, in <laughs> retirement. So, <laughs> right. um, after my real jobs, I was going to, to become a realtor. Um, and, and here we are.
0: <laughs> right. And you've been doing this for 12 years, right? Correct. Yeah. So and I'm only sure-
1: 29. I don't know how it happened.
0: So <laughs> you figured it out. Let's go back to that first year when you first got in, mm. how did it go? How was your first year?
1: Well, it was horrible. Um, first, I had people really questioning my sanity, because as we know, the, the world economy was not the best in 2009. Um, I had people wondering why I was leaving, you know, something that I had so much experience in, but I wasn't able to find a job that wasn't backpedaling. Um, it was tough, but When I started, I jumped right into the training programs. I had the blessing of a mentor. Um, I got my license in July. I had my first closing in December and my second closing wasn't until the following March. Um, My husband was asking me, um, are we really going to do this? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it should be noted that during my second layoff, I overlapped with his layoff. Um, Yeah. So very interesting times within our family. Um, But we persevered and
0: here we are. And you pushed through. Looking back that first and second year, was there anything that 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 made a change or a switch was. Let me ask a different way. Did you have you gradually added from one to two closings a year up to where you are, or was there a time where there was a flip where everything started to click? And if so, what was that that changed?
1: Um, I think around the third year, I started to feel like I was really um, gaining some momentum and really. Um, had maybe established myself as somebody who who knew to some degree what they were doing and had some credibility. Um, and I think that that was just the byproduct of consistently doing all of the things that I was encouraged to do and trained on um, from the start. So when we look collectively at my first year, I had 13 closings. And then I'm happy to say that they they did steadily increase from from year to year.
0: Okay, so that first full year, so you had kind of the first, the end of the year, the six months with the one closing, and then the next full year you had thirteen closings. Right, that's right. pretty good. What were you doing that first year to get the thirteen closings? Some people might be listening to us; they're brand new and they, they're trying to get some ideas.
1: Sure. So um, I was trained initially in the whole the Brian Buffini. Um, program, which that resonated well with me. I am a people person. So I was doing pop buys. I was sending the personal notes. I was making the phone calls. If our broker owner said to do it, I went and did it because we have to remember that I was of the employee mindset. And this is going to sound silly, but it, it took me probably a few years to realize that I was an independent contractor running her own business. Um, I'm a bit of a processor. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
0: it clicked in. Uh, give us some more of that uh, first couple of years. years. you went 13. What was the next year? Do you remember?
1: 20 something, maybe 27.
0: So maybe you doubled that next year. Mm-hmm. Now I, I know there's a lot of people listening to are around the 12, 13 units and they want to double. What did you do that's that next year to go from the 13 to the 27? What, how did you double?
1: I have to tell you the biggest thing is staying top of mind and not being that secret agent. So, consistently putting myself out there, whether it was in the community or sending my postcards to the farm or making sure that I was following up with phone calls and also with any of the transactions that I had doing right by them, you know, doing something when I said I was going to do it um, and making sure that when the transaction ended that I was left with a happy client who then became a great source of referrals. Um, With that being said, when I started in this business, my children were in second and seventh grade, and I was involved in PTA and volunteering at the school and the softball board and friends of music and things that put me in front of people and allowed me to grow my database also.
0: Let me ask you that. People are curious. When you were in these social settings, uh, the PTA is an example, uh, were you... Broadcasting to everyone that you were a real estate agent, or was it kind of just coming in the side conversations? You know, how did they know you were a real estate agent? Were you asking for business directly or not? Tell us more about that.
1: So, when I got into this business, my goal was to not be that salesperson. I was very um, hypersensitive to not becoming the person who walked in the room and everybody would turn and leave or roll their eyes because they knew what was coming next who do you know that's looking to buy or sell real estate? I didn't want to be that girl. So it, it might have evolved, you know, it might've been a side conversation. So, but how did they know? Um, social media was huge. And also in the beginning, I did reach out to everybody and let them know that I did have a change of profession because, Everybody would come to Brenda for nutrition. I was then retraining them to come to Brenda with housing. (laughs) So it was just a lot of that continuous, Hey, I'm not doing that anymore. But, um, and again, with the personal notes and the phone calls and the social media and just, you know, word travels, they might see a sign up here or there.
0: Now you, you mentioned that you get a lot of business from repeating referral, It sounds like uh, real early on, you put together a database of your your sphere of influence Mm -hmm. and that became the focus. You said you're the Brian Buffini, you were going in there and you were contacting them and staying in front of them. And I think people need to hear that again, that that's how you got that quick start. Do you remember by chance back when you were getting started that first year, how many people were in your sphere of influence?
1: Maybe, maybe I loaded a hundred in my database. Um, right. I don't have a huge database. I think comparatively um, to other agents around the country, um, I did run some numbers this morning. It's not huge. It's how big is it 100. today? Just uh, oh, just today it's like five hundred.
0: Right, right. That's, and that's it. Really working it. That's past clients now and sphere of influence and twelve years in the business.
1: Right. And, uh, you know, I classify people as A, B, C, and D, and I only have 118 A clients.
0: Wow. What, what classifies someone as A?
1: Um, they've either referred to me, we, we've either not had a closing, but they refer people to me, or we've had a closing and it was a great experience. And we're in routine contact and they're very supportive of my business. Sometimes... We haven't clicked with the, with the referral yet, but they, they are my cheerleaders. Yeah. Then of course it's the people who have referred me business. Um, and again, are, are great cheerleaders.
0: I'm going to assume you tell me if this is correct, that the majority of your repeating referrals come from this a group. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's really strong. You get those real tight connections. Now, you mentioned you also have other categories. Uh, tell us how what, what classifies a B, what B group.
1: Um, a B is somebody that I'm in root. Well, we may have had a, a transaction together, but maybe we're not as tight afterwards. Like I stay in touch with them via my um, every other month newsletters. I'll reach out to them with closing anniversary cards and, and birthday messages and such, but we're not at least in my mind, as tight of a relationship as maybe an A.
0: What do you do with the A's that's above what you've just mentioned for the B's? What what extra are you doing?
1: Um client appreciation events, which which also do include um probably most of my Bs are at least invited. So I guess the participation sure. <laughs> is what changes the classification. Um, what else? I think there's just more of that social aspect.
0: Just see them more often around, around when you're just in right. the, uh, society, bumping into them. Let me exactly. Let's keep. Well, let me ask you this before I forget, because I got analytical people listening to the the B category. How many people in your B category? One hundred and thirteen. One hundred and thirteen. So almost the same A as the A. Thirteen Bs. Mm hmm. How about yep. the C category? How many people? And then tell us what qualifies someone for that.
1: So somebody who C is neutral in my mind. So they're in my database. I'm on their radar. Maybe they're a new lead and we just haven't connected yet. Um, there's just nothing really happening.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> the, but you know the them, date- but it's not a tight relationship yet.
1: Right. Right. So probably more of a customer or, um, you know, nobody that that we've done a transaction together
0: with. How many people in that group?
1: A little over 200.
0: And then uh, did you say there was a D category? There is. What is the D category?
1: Um, This is going to sound horrible, but they're either dead literally or figuratively. So the figuratively one um, is that it's just not a good fit for whatever reason. Um, but they're, they're not a good investment of my time, energy, or treasures.
0: How many people in that group?
1: Um, a little less than 100.
0: Why do you keep the group? Why don't you just delete them out of your database?
1: They remind me what not to do, maybe. Or remind me <laughs> what to be on the lookout for. Or remind well, me of the path that has got me here. Sure. We're always going to have D's come across our, our path anytime. But
0: uh, yeah. I like to know who they are just so I remember. I, I, I Oh right. gosh. Yeah. That was the person. I, if we did not get along at all, I should not spend my time there. Yeah,
1: Exactly. So right. I think it's, I think it's a good reminder.
0: That is great. So <laughs> I want to, uh, I want, let, let me, I got to ask the big question. Of course I should have asked earlier, but I'm going to ask now. And that is, in the uh, introduction, I mentioned that you closed 65 homes last year as a solo agent. Is that true?
1: Absolutely. That's Absolutely. Amazing. My family can attest to that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Now, I'm going to tie it back into what we were just mentioning, and that is the repeating referrals. I, I asked you to fill out a form for me, and you sent it back, and repeating referrals, if I did it correct, is about 86% of your business. All but 14% comes from repeat and referral. And yeah, that is impressive. Now, uh, if we do the 86%, that's somewhere around 56 of the closings, I'm going to estimate. And the 56 out of your 500 databases, better than one in 10 have sent repeat and referral. And really, I think it's even better than that because you have these debts, you got the neutrals, Uh, They're probably not sending a business or doing a lot of repeat. It's really coming from those A's and B's. Would you agree? Yeah, I am blessed. That's amazing. So I just want people to hear that, especially if they're analytical in numbers. Basically, we got, I don't know, 231, 231 people, the A's and B's have sent you 56 closings last year. That's incredible. That's like one in
1: four. It's a lot more fun to do business that way.
0: (laughs) I bet it is and more profitable. Right.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. More fun, easy to contact, more enjoyable to be around, uh, probably easier during the transaction, easier when things go weird. right? Right. You're able to keep the relationship, the relationship survives through weird things that happen during transactions.
1: Loving it
0: right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it happens, right? <laughs> so that, that is really great. I, I want to now go back and I want to delve in a little deeper into your annual marketing plan for people who are listening and taking some notes. Could you tell us if we were to look at what you are doing right now today with these people in A and B group, um, right. what exactly, you start to mention it out, but please mention it again. And so a, a big picture of what are you doing to stay in front of those people? So they send you repeating referrals.
1: So every other month, um, my AB database gets a service for life newsletter from me. Um, I take the template and then I, I brandify it. Um, so that goes out to about 300 people every other month. Why isn't it every month? Because I think every month is just a lot. Um, so every other month it's, it has some good quantity to it. What else do I do? I mentioned closing anniversary, um, just greeting handwritten personal notes, acknowledging their closing anniversary, birthday cards, um, social media. Part of my morning routine is to just go on and see what's going on in their lives but I also try to be very, very consistent on my own social media pages also. So again, there's just that that top of mind. Um, and it, it's funny. We, we all know that social media is a very interesting animal. Um, but you could not have much business going on at all. But the world thinks that you're crazy busy. Um, so yeah, use it.
0: that's awesome is and then you also mentioned earlier events what kind of events are you doing how often
1: so the consistent one is the client appreciation event which is typically held the sunday before thanksgiving it's a pie event um i am of the mindset that if i truly appreciate somebody's business i'm going to go to them so i used to spend all day sunday and then part of monday and tuesday in my car driving around delivering pies right before thanksgiving um the attitude of gratitude got a little a little crusty (laughs) so because the event got got bigger (laughs) so a couple of years ago i um went our our local watering hole became, became the host site and we did a Sunday from like one to four, had appetizers. I had drink coupons for people, and, and everybody's able to come in and have a visit. And they all went home with a pie. And it was great. That it was cool. great. That is wonderful. And during, during the pandemic, I'm proud to say that we did not just say, oh, it's a pandemic. We're not doing it. We held a drive through event, and it was very well received.
0: That is so yeah. cool. Uh, and now, when you did the Pi Day event, how many people did you invite, and how many people showed up?
1: Um, I invited probably between eighty and ninety, and we we got over sixty there.
0: That's great. And how much what was the cost of the event for you?
1: Oh it was it was cheap. It was like five hundred dollars between the food and beverage at the local pub. And then the cost of pies. I think one year I was able to get them for seven dollars, but then we we upped it a little, and I got them for eleven at a local a local uh, orchard.
0: So that's that's pretty cool. So we're talking somewhere uh, under a thousand dollars for the entire yeah. event. These are your best best besties. These are the people sending you repeat and referrals. You're making connections with them, uh, and it's a win win event. Now. People want to know at the event, are you receiving referrals or business directly at the event or immediately after that you can track, or is it more of a feel good event?
1: It's mostly feel good, but you know, there's there's always a few people who are like, hey, my neighbor or hey, my friend. So um, but I try not to have that be the bulk of the and focus of the conversation. Um, and it, you know, I do it to make them feel good. I feel so good at the end of that day. The messages I have people showing up with gifts for me. I'm like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Here's
0: your pie. And, and thanks for the present. Right?
1: right, right. Um, the text messages I get after it, it's just, it's awesome.
0: That it's is really fantastic. awesome. And the power of the event is the invitation. So you invite more people than show up, and everybody feels happy that they got an invite. I need to ask though. We just went through your A and B list. Is over 220. Oh, 231. How did you pare it down to inviting only 90?
1: Um, They all don't live around here. So a lot of my cheerleaders are not local. Um, I'd have to look at those
0: stats again. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. So maybe you just invited the A's for the big event, maybe a couple of the B's that you thought would, would work out well. And also you have this local issue. Um, right.
1: That's really because good. I, honestly, I was probably a little afraid of inviting them all because if they all say yes.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Well, right. that's still pretty cool. So, do you do any other event during the year? Is the Pie Day the big one? And do you do any others?
1: The Pie Day is a big one. Um, I have done one at a local microbrew. And that was a really little one that was with one of the boards that I was on. I took our last meeting of the year and kind of made it a entangled event of the board. Plus, hey, I'll host it. (laughs) So that was pretty cool. I'm actually um, I'm actually thinking that it's time with the world opening up again to to get out and do something like that on a larger scale this summer.
0: I want to dive into so thank you for giving us this outline of the marketing, your marketing plan. I want to go into the social media one because I'm sure okay. people are wondering that's a hot topic. And yeah. my question is, you said you do a daily review of the social media. What does that mean? Are you, are you, tell us how long it takes. What specifically are you doing? If, so, if you were going to train me or someone else to do it, what would you tell us?
1: I would say over your morning cup of coffee, log into whatever social media page you're on, and just scroll, see what your world is doing. You know, did the kid lose a tooth, send a card and some ice, an ice cream, uh, gift card, you know, um, did somebody's family member pass away, you know, just scroll and be in tune with what's going on in their world, but take the action step to reach out. It might be a card. It might be a text. Um, That's so really 10 minutes in my morning. And also wish people happy birthdays. I'm a big fan of birthdays. So I think everybody else should be too. So I make sure every morning on Facebook, if it's your birthday, you get a happy birthday message from me.
0: So are you, sounds like you, are you doing an action on the social media, like on Facebook? And in addition, you're sending a card or are you just sending the card?
1: Um, it might be both as many touches
0: as you can get positive touches.
1: Yeah. But I also don't want to sound like that person who is, um, they're genuine touches. They're not touches because it might result in a sale. They're genuine human caring touches.
0: Right. That may result in a sale, <laughs> but it's in the sale. intent, right? It's the intent. Right. It's how you feel about it. It just happens that it may in fact also generate business. And right. I think that's a good distinction that you're making, that you're not doing it just for that purpose because you're worried that would bleed through. People would see right. through that. You're doing it because you, you care about the person on the other end. It, it just happens to be part of your business plan and it works. Right. Exactly.
1: It, cool. It's that whole staying top of mind. We all know, you know, everybody knows a real estate agent. So, what's going to differentiate you? It, it's being top of mind when the topic comes up.
0: Cool. Is there anything else that somebody listening to us should know about your program to work with your past clients and sphere of influence that we haven't talked about or something that they should know?
1: You know, I think the biggest thing is you have to be authentic to yourself. I don't do a lot of things that what I'm going to call the big dog training programs tell you to do. I do not take two hours a day and dial for dollars. I I honestly can't tell you the last time I set aside time and just made phone calls. Um, I do not spend a lot of money investing in leads. I would rather invest that in relationships I already have. Do I spend some money? Yes. How much? Less than $50 a month. That's it. Um, But I think to when you're starting out to find the pieces and parts that do sit well with you and don't feel icky and then design your own business from there.
0: That is good. That's good stuff. And to clarify, uh, you you have a little bit of business from internet leads. I think it's about 7% of your business and Mm -hmm. a little bit from a farm and that's about 7% as well. The bulk of your business, 86% is coming from what we just talked about, these repeating referrals
1: exactly and the interesting part about the farm though too is obviously it's local to where I am so it does kind of intertwine with my sphere of influence too because people know people you know I do have a billboard every year in March it's on one of the big thoroughfares in into Schenectady and you know again top of mind and then it was funny because I've had people be like I saw you on a billboard I'm like isn't that funny i'm like the real deal (laughs) but it does as funny as that is to me it does enhance the credibility um because i had a billboard um but you know people in the neighborhood have been getting postcards from me for over 10 years and i remember one of my first sales in the neighborhood she said i got your postcard and i tucked it away because i knew someday i would need it well I have two signs up in the neighborhood right now um, with hopefully at least two more coming. And I've always been tempted to stop those cards because I'm afraid. uh, Well, because I wasn't seeing the, you know, fallout from it, but it works. It's just, you know, like everything, it's a cycle and you just have to stay in front of people.
0: That's good. Let's do this. I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to talk about uh, your, the, big picture of of what you're doing production wise. You you've got to be working a lot of hours and people have got to wonder about your schedule. Let's talk about what do you what does your daily schedule look like? When do you start in the morning? When do you stop at night? Number one. And number two, how does that look over the course of a week?
1: Okay. Um, First and foremost, if you're doing something you love, it doesn't feel like work. So. I might be making a call, sending a text, shooting off an email in what I'll call after hours, but it's not something that I resent. I have spent a lot of energy trying to train myself. We all know that with technology, we are all accessible 24 seven. And I don't think as agents, we should be advertising ourselves as being available 24 seven. There have to be boundaries. So when I say I trained myself, if something would come in, in what I determined to be my after hours, I would don't respond. Don't only reinforce the behaviors we want from people. Right. So it took me a while, but I think we're good now. So my day looks like typically Monday through Friday, I am at my desk no later than 730 in the morning. I usually have two to three hours of desk work and then, you know, whatever, whatever I'm needed to do in the field, whether, you know, listing appointments, inspections, showings. Um, Do I work nights? Yes, but not a ton. You know, last night I was home by 630. Um, Most nights I will leave my desk between five and six and I'll keep an eye on, text. Honestly, after 7 p.m., I'm not looking at email anymore. It'll wait till the next day. Do I work weekends? Of course. Um, I typically try to, if I work Saturday, I won't work Sunday and vice versa. Um, but I can also tell you that I'm not out there every single weekend. Um, We're just coming off of Memorial Day. I did one showing each day and I had plenty of fun around that. So it worked.
0: Good. So, and and people listening would be wondering, well, geez, like for instance, we're in a really hot market right now uh, and inventory's low and buyers are really excitable today. They want to get on everything. Uh, Do you get those last minute calls and people say, I got to go see this home and do you end up having to drop everything? Or do you, do you make them wait until you're ready?
1: I'm blessed right now to be focused on the listing side of things. And it's a great place to be right now, as we all know. Um, I, I have some buyers, but we have to, we, we have to be responsive and fit things within the context of the current market. So I'm not going to make them wait. If my schedule's not conducive to it, I will delegate it. Um, there are people within our company who are hungry for leads and I- I'm not going to make somebody wait in this market. We all know you've got to get out there within 24 hours or you're just not going to be able to participate.
0: Let's open that up a little bit. You said you would delegate. What does that mean if you delegate a buyer?
1: Okay. Um, I always tell my clients that I always want them to feel like they're my only client, but we all know that they're not. Um, and I never want them to be the mercy of my schedule. So if something hot does hit and I'm not available, I do have a, um, she's relatively new in the business. I think she's about three years in, um, and, and she's been my little grasshopper. <laughs> I will delegate to her as needed. If she's not available, I'll put a message out to our company and and see who who might be available. So it's nice to have that backup.
0: Um, So you have somebody who could run a buyer around if you were unable to help them at that time. If that happens, uh, do you compensate that person and how so?
1: So depending on the lead, I might just give it to them as long as the client assures me that they were happy with with the handoff, so to say. Um, most times, I will just compensate that person directly for their time.
0: So you do it on a, a dollar per hour basis?
1: Um, per showing basis. So like $25 per showing, which is probably cheap for a lot of markets is that
0: 25 dollars <laughs> per house shown or per outing um per
1: house shown
0: wow okay great so they show 10 uh, four houses it's a hundred bucks yeah okay cool yeah. and then if they find something when they're out there and the buyer goes yeah this is the one does that come back to you and then you write up the contract and bring them all the way to close or does it stay with the per- this agent that you're talking about?
1: Uh, C, both A and B.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that Dep- was whether you handed it off or not.
1: Right, right. Depending on what's going on in my world that, you know, compromise my ability to be out there. Um, we'll talk it out and, um, you know, I'll share as much information about their, you know, financial situation and such that I, that I know of. Um, so there's always direct collaboration. I'm always involved to some degree, or I might take it back and be like, okay, thanks. I've got it. And off we go.
0: Now this agent though, is not on your quote team. It's not a buyer's agent. No, it's not even a showing. Maybe it's a showing agent. It's kind of this, just an agreement. They're doing their own thing, running their own business. It's just every once in a while you ask them to pick up some things here or there Uh, in some slack, maybe even if you took a trip or a vacation, is that what you would do as well?
1: That's what we, yep. Um, There's somebody else in the company too, that um, we're like, he's my work husband. So I cover his vacations and he covers my vacations and um, we buy each other lunch for the coverage. Honestly, there's no like, well, this is what I did while you were gone and you owe me, you know, $842. There's none of that. It's just pick a day when we get back and we go to lunch.
0: Nice. Pretty sweet deal. Yeah. That's a good thing. Now, also, uh, my understanding is you have an administrative assistant. Is that someone that you've hired and you employ? Is it an independent company? How does that work? What's the arrangement there?
1: So our company, our brokerage has an administrative staff. So when I have listings, I upload all of the listing documents and they take it and, and run with the input. Um, if I have a deal pending, I upload all the documents, and then then they take it from there. Um, so it's that administrative support that is paid for directly by the office. They're employees of the company.
0: Wow. Okay, that's great. So I heard that it's it's a bit of listing management. They're going to help you get that listing into the MLS and so forth. Yep. Uh, and then also the the big one I would assume time wise is the transaction management. Once it goes under contract, they're mm-hmm. helping you track. Oh, your guy, you're taking it from contract to close.
1: Yes, sir. Oh,
0: I'm, I misunderstood. I thought you said the assistant was. I, I I missed that.
1: Now I upload the docs, and you know they'll update it on the MLS. But in terms of the um, transaction management, that's me.
0: That's you. Oh my gosh, you are working crazy. What are you using to? Uh, keep To make that an efficient system, do you have software that you're using to, to monitor that transaction?
1: I'm old-fashioned in that respect. I have a transaction checklist that is in every folder um, that keeps me on track. Every Friday morning, like clockwork, every buyer under contract, and every listing, whether or not they're under contract, can expect an emailed update from me. Even if we speak on the phone Thursday night, you're going to get the Friday morning update from me. If you're a listing and we're not under contract, the tone of that update is, hey, Mm -hmm. here's what's going on in the market. Here's what's been happening with your showings. Is it good? Do we need a change, you know, or not? If we're under contract, it's here we're at. Here's where we're at in the process. Here's what to expect next. And, you know let them know if it's all going according to plan or not. The human brain doesn't do well when it is not fed information. So even if there's nothing to report, they need to get that reassurance that all is on track and going according to plan.
0: Cool. i want to ask one other thing. A lot of agents today, they, they want to move to the listing side of the business. Did you, did you force that to happen somehow, or is it just the, where you are in your career now and the, the clientele that you're working with, they just tend to have a home to sell, and then they may also have a home to buy? Or did you somehow intentionally move to this point where you now have 60% of your business listing?
1: No, it just, I think it seemed to have just happen. Um, I remember one of the first listings in our neighborhood, my neighbor called and she and and we knew each other to wave or what it but we weren't really engaged as, as friends, if you will. And she said, I've been watching you. And I think that's what we as agents need to remember is that a l- lot of people are paying attention to what we're doing and we might not even realize it. Same thing on social media. You might not get tons of clicks, but people are watching. Um, so I think three, four years in, I started to organically, it felt like, receive more listing requests. And now it's it's awesome to be predominantly on the listing side.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> nice balance.
0: Especially today. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no doubt. Uh, this is good. Very um, good. So we hit a, a couple of these highlights I was hoping for. Uh, let me ask this: How many? Uh, you, you said you do get to take some vacations and times off. Uh, how much time off do you take throughout the course of the year? And um, do you take a uh, one week of vacation or two weeks of vacation? How's that a work normal out <laughs> <What's> that? <laughs> A normal year. What's that? A normal year. A normal year. Yeah,
1: a normal year. Um, there's always at least one week of a family vacation do I work during it? I can't lie. Yes, I do. What does that look like? Um, I'll often put my phone on airplane mode. I'll check email in the morning, put my phone on airplane mode during the day so that I still have my camera and such, and then check emails at night. Um, and then delegate accordingly, um, as needed. My children are big softball players. One is still playing in college. One has retired after she graduated from college. So we were always in the travel softball circuit. So again, I was working from hotel rooms and working from spring training. um, But just again, trying to set the structure so that it wasn't just mom's body being there, but she's not present at all. Um, So working on that. And I think we've achieved a great, a great balance with that. The girls were at a great age when I got into this, that they quickly learned um, mom needs to make hay when the sun shines. Um, but she's, you know, she'll be at my game. She might be leaning against the tree for a little bit on the phone, but she'll be back and, and she's here. So um, they're seeing the fruits of my labor and enjoying it too. <laughs> <laughs> that um, awesome. So that yeah. And that didn't really answer your question of how much time off, but um, a solid week and long weekends here and there. My parents also have a place in Florida and, and it's funny because my mother says, you always sell a house when you're down here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I do, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. But that's the beauty of having more listings is you do have that flexibility.
0: And you mentioned you have that office partner that you trade off time. They He watches right. for you and you watch for him and allows you to take some of these longer times away. And I like the idea of the airplane mode on the phone, right? You check in the morning, you check in the evening, and you basically turned off your connection to that world during the day so you could focus on your family. I thought that was also really sharp. Right, Um, because
1: I, I did find that if you don't have enough, you see things coming in and you will get distracted. And that's not fair to ourselves or our family to not not be present. Yeah,
0: even if you don't respond, you're mentally distracted now and you're not focusing exactly. on your family, right? Your mind went that direction. Right. Uh, that's why I thought that was so sharp. Um, good. Uh, let, let's switch to something else that's kind of a hot topic for today. Now, you mentioned you're working mainly with listings, but you 40% of your business is buyers. What are you doing today in to handle these Multiple offer situations, and what I mean by that is, if you are working with the buyer, and you get into, they like this property, and you start to find out there are multiple buyers coming in, how do you help your buyer have the best chance of winning? What do you do?
1: Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? Oh, I, I do. I feel for buyers in this market and the agents with all the energies that that's required to help them get to the goal line. Um, the first thing I do is we have a very grounded, but light conversation about the reality of the market. So we need to set the expectations. That's huge. If they know what they're getting into, they're they're going to be able to navigate it and manage their own emotions a, a bit better also. Um, so we have that conversation of the reality of the market. When we find the one and we're putting in an offer, obviously I'm not going shopping with anybody unless they're, they're pre-qualified. So we make sure that that is as solid as it can be. Um, and also, you know unfortunately, there are some loan programs that are looked as favorably upon as others. so making sure that we've exhausted all of their opportunities and get them the best scenario on, on paper to go go in with um, an offer on um, as much good faith deposit as is feasible um, because that is the skin in the game and, and does make an impact. Um, we've been playing with some of the definitions of, uh, major defect for the inspection contingency. In our market, a major defect is defined as $1,500. I personally don't ever want my clients to not have inspections. I am not a fan of having those waived. Um, but if we can raise the threshold a bit, especially if the house is suitable for such, then we'll do that. Um making sure that we're connecting with the listing agent to find out what's important to their, their seller. Obviously the seller wants the most money they can get, but maybe timelines are important to them. So either tightening up or loosening up timelines as much as feasible. Um, I've heard that people are starting to allow rent free occupancy after closing to sellers. Um, I think that's becoming more norm. I haven't done that one yet. Um, but yeah, that's that's just, that, that, I think we covered most of them. That was pretty
0: good. Yeah, you did a good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think that people listening will have a, a lot of good ideas, fresh ideas in their head that they can use. Um, I want to switch gears that We've been listening to your business, uh, some structure and kind of getting a vision of it. People out there listening are wondering, uh, this question, are you profitable? I am. <laughs> That's awesome. And I assume you are. Uh, the question they have next is for their planning purposes. Could you tell us what kind of profit margin you're getting? The percentage of net. So if a hundred dollars came in the top, how much falls out the bottom and comes home with you?
1: That's a great question. I did calculate it. I have to look at my notes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
1: So it's funny because my accountant, she handles a lot of real estate agents files. And she's like, Brenda, you need to start spending more money
0: <laughs> <laughs> to lower your taxes. <laughs>
1: exactly. I do send in my quarterly taxes. Um, so I'm keeping 85 cents on a dollar.
0: Wow. That is just beautiful. And that's right in line with what I would think of somebody that's running a business like you are. And that is just fantastic. That's the beauty of the solo agent models, that high, high net. And what your accountant, by the way, I think it's also wise you're using an accountant to help you keep the books. That's really smart. Right. Uh, and her advice was for you to spend more money in your business to try to lower that net tax wise. Um, and, and that's another talk for another day as to what right. you can and can't write off. But thank you for sharing that. And I I really like that you shared how high that net is because people don't get that. They don't realize um, what an amazing net it can be in a solo agent model. All right, let's move on. Um, I'm listening to you and I got to ask, what drives you?
1: I'm competitive by nature. Um, I am a softball mom. I... You know, back in the day, played sports, not as well as my children, but participated. (laughs) I'm naturally competitive. And I think, I think in my professional world, I had the choice to be broken, right? Or to pull myself up by my bootstraps and do it. And I chose the latter and failure was not an option. So, I was driven by some of the naysayers who thought I was crazy for going into real estate. Um, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that is
0: great. That is so cool. That is so cool, Brenda. Um, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first?
1: Get a mentor. Hook up with a company with a consistently good training program and be patient, patience, patience, patience. There is no, there's no overnight success anyway. Right. We know that success is just our response to a series of failures. I like to think I invented that phrase. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. That's pretty. Um, But Especially in real estate, there's no instant gratification. I mean, when we look at, we write an offer today and do what we can to keep it on track. And maybe in six to eight weeks, we'll, we'll get the reward from that, right? So patience is huge. And knowing what you're really getting into. I've had a lot of people call me this year. Hey, I'm thinking about getting my license. I said, okay, let's talk. Tell me what you think this business is all about. Because a lot of us are making it look too easy. (laughs) So they they think it's easy money. So know what you're getting into. If you're going to embark on it, get a mentor. Have access to a training program and be patient and and keep working the systems. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. You know, there's people out there who know what they're doing and take the pieces and the parts that will allow you to stay true to yourself.
0: I like that. Stay true to yourself. Very good. Well, Brenda, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners?
1: I'm so excited to have had the opportunity to do this. Um, real estate is an awesome business to be in. Um, go for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is good. Well, this has been fantastic. Brenda, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I was so
0: happy to be here. Uh, thank you. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for joining us on Solo Agent World. Keep moving forward, bye. This has been another episode of Solo Agent World. Enjoyed what you heard? Hit that like button. Plus, remember to subscribe and click that notification icon so you'll be the first to receive all the latest episodes. Love the show? Leave us a five-star rating and write a quick review. If you know a solo agent that we should interview, yourself or someone else, let us know at mastermindagent.com. And if you have a solo agent friend who could benefit, tell them about the show. Thanks for listening to Solo Agent World. Keep smiling and keep moving forward.